TheOAMNetwork.com. Power to the podcast. So, uh, Laura, Laura, I've just noticed your necklace. Is that a chemical structure of something? It's serotonin. 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 Yes. Just to remind me to... Did you know that just by looking at it? You knew it was serotonin? Do you have one? I have a PhD. <laughs> God damn Mark, it. Mark's just now hearing that. I don't know. Are you saying in the no, when, yeah, when yeah. I get one that I will know? Yeah, yeah. That's it's in the test. <laughs> it's in the knowledge. Get like potassium chloride, see if he can guess it. No, Mark. Why don't I hand over the admin to you, Niraj? <laughs> you seem to have got this. Mark. <laughs> All the white girls have serotonin or caffeine. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a thing I've noticed. <laughs> wow. Oh, trying to be different. It just didn't happen. But Maybe you got both. Be, I was trying to be polite. <laughs> I shouldn't have dug in. Are they all white chemic, like scientist ladies? <laughs> at least. Maybe I can seem smarter than I am. At, at least she didn't tattoo her on <laughs> She's wearing long sleeves. Yeah. Nothing is she may going have struck another them. nerve. Welcome to Dr. Heckle the science communication podcast that has a lot of Murakami in the hallway. What? Got a sticky and I keep it at my dog's place. Girl, I left your love at magic. Now it's all shade. Still going bad on you anyway. On today's episode, the adaptability of influenza, genome edited children, and being manipulated to take shorter showers. Welcome to Dr. Heckle, the science communication podcast that is listed in Muller's investigation as individual number 52. So not looking at too much jail time there. With us on the show today, <laughs> with a JD from the University of Memphis, lead singer of Who Shot John, Jeff Luter. Hello. Welcome to the show. Thank and you. with a Bachelor of Arts in Public Relations from Eastern Kentucky University, improv comedian, Laurel George. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Great to be here. And of course, uh, my co-host... With the real PhD, Mr. Naraj Trivedi. Thank you. Welcome to uh, the show. Doctor. <laughs> <laughs> doc, doc, <laughs> Mr. Mr. Dr. Naraj Trivedi. Uh, so, uh, so, Jeff, you are the lead singer of a band, Who Shot John? Uh, I, yes, that's true. Uh, my drummer also sings. Uh, people tend to like his songs better, but I sing more of them. So, uh, I'm not jealous at all, as you can tell. <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. I mean... You're still at the front, even when he's singing. Yeah, I get to stand up front, and if uh, people start getting too enthusiastic for him, then I'll just I'll just move right in front of them, you know, so they can't see him. <laughs> That's how I deal with that. So, um, have you got uh, have you got any new music coming out or? Uh, uh well, we have a, a show coming up New Year's Eve at uh, Rock House Midtown, so that should be fun. We're going to be playing with Slamhound, and let me don't get this wrong. The Scary Lizard Ladies. So who shot John, Slamhound, and the Scary Lizard Ladies, New so, Year's Eve? So this is an uh, acoustic folk show. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, we're going to sing some, uh, some, you know, kumbaya and church songs like that. And bring in the new year without any raucousness. No, actually, we do have a song called Finger of God. That's, there's like a lot of screaming in it, but that's usually, that's our <laughs> best known song anyway. Have a lot of fun with that. Yeah. Excellent. How long have you been uh, playing in that band? Uh, with this group, two years. Um, Chris Hart, the singing drummer, and uh, Daniel Castro, you know. Yeah, who shot John? I'm Jeffrey Lee Harvey. It's kind of thematic, I guess you could say. Excellent. And uh, had you been played? You said two years with this group. Had you played in a series of bands? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, to- most of them were not very good, you know, in high school and stuff. Actually, uh <laughs> your producer and I were in some of those pretty, pretty really, terrible what, bands. <laughs> what bands were you in together? What can you think of? Can you remember the names? I can't remember. They're always really bad names, like Euthanasia. Yeah, Y O U T H. Oh, yeah. nice. We had yeah. a list, a list of names. Like, let's come up with some really <laughs> great. 
pun name. Yeah, and euthanasia would like Y O U T H was one of the better ones. And then I think there was a Megadeth album called that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there. And that ended the dream. Why? Well, yeah. We played at our church a lot. We did. For if, like spaghetti suppers. <laughs> yes, we played at spaghetti suppers at church. Hunter and I did. <laughs> Let your mind go there. Yeah. <laughs> that was one of the nights I wrecked the van, maybe. I don't know. Mm. It all runs together. I had too much spaghetti, I think. <laughs> is this uh is this particular band who shot John's strictly off spaghetti because of those memories? Yes, there's definitely no spaghetti involved anymore. We're uh, we're on the spaghetti wagon for sure. <laughs> well, um <laughs> That brings me on. That doesn't yes. bring me on in any way, but that brings me on to our <laughs> other, segue. other guest, uh, Laurel George. So yes. uh, you, you were an improv comedian that moved fairly recently to, to Memphis? Yes. Uh, yeah, we moved here in May. Oh, great. Actually. That is pretty recent. Yeah. We, uh, we, my husband works in television, so to move up, you have to move to New City. So uh, we... Uh, we brief history of time uh sit down and get something to drink it's gonna take a while uh we met in orlando florida uh we moved to tampa florida we stayed there for a while then we moved to chicago and that's where i got all my training and my i found my religion my cult and uh of improv and then uh then we moved to pittsburgh pennsylvania for a brief time and then we moved to tulsa and then now we're here excellent yep Excellent. So you're part of uh, the Bluff City Liars. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which is, uh, I think, one of two improv troops in the city. Uh, it's the only one that I know of, but I'm new, so don't uh, shoot me. <laughs> so there was the Memphis, there's the Memphis Improv and Sketch, Sketch Collective, but that may have uh, shut down I think now. that kind of uh, fizzled out, actually, because I did a show, two shows with them, and then they faded away. So now not it, my fault, though. Now it is I guess it's you not me. Them. I like that. <laughs> Correlation. No more. <laughs> Excellent. So, um, uh, what has been your experience of Memphis Improv so far? How is it different to other cities that you've been in? Um, they, the, they just sort of welcomed me in to the fold really nicely. And they have appreciated my efforts to help, <laughs> which that doesn't make any sense. And it sounds really, it sounds, you sound like a politician, jaded and bitter. <laughs> uh, but I'm not, I just, that means you brought really good brownies to the practice. <laughs> yes, exactly. Shh, don't. And good spaghetti. And spaghetti. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we, uh, the, uh, as soon as I got on the team, then we had the Kevin McDonald uh, from kids in the hall, mm-hmm. that show. So they let me do a bunch of stuff and help them out and help them promote that. And that was nice and refreshing. Excellent. Is there anything coming up with, uh, with Bluff City Lies? Uh, yes. Uh, we have on the first Monday of every month, we have kind of a drop-in improv thing over at Theater Works, uh, like six to seven. And it's kind of pay a donation kind of thing, whatever you can. Uh, January 11th, we're doing a benefit. Uh, one of our players was yes, uh, Ben. Yeah, Benny. So we're doing a Benny fit and to help him with his medical bills. Um, so he, yeah, he was in that carjacking attempt and got shot in the back. And fortunately, is stable now. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, he he kind of goes up and down a little bit, but uh, we Different. saw him Friday and he was fine and. Yeah, yeah, but the benefit is January 11th at High Tone. So I'm on that. Yeah. I just said that twice. <laughs> Sweet. Oh, you did? I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. Mute your microphone. I'm <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> on he that. Hello. <laughs> guys, guys. <laughs> so uh, I guess the way, yes. I, way I can link uh, something that you said into science is uh, mm-hmm. you, you mentioned that you're, when your husband travels for work, mm-hmm. uh, he, ha- well, he has to move from place to place. That's actually very common in the scientific field. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is oh. uh, wh- wherever you, you do, may have noticed our accents. Wherever you do. Your, <laughs> you move a lot further than I. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all are from Raleigh, right? <laughs> 
<laughs> Originally, yes, but we spent so much time abroad. <laughs> we came back with this. <laughs> uh, as, a, as a minor segue, I was told today by one of my friends that one of the kids she's uh, she's working with in um, uh, this special ed uh, program mm -hmm. uh, has watched so much Peppa Pig that he now speaks with a British accent. That's, that's, that is actually really common. I've known kids that talk like that, and I'm like, I, are you English? I, I think I think I've found... Are you just found, mocking me? I think I found the solution if I was to ever have kids in the United States. Yeah, no, my kids talked like that for quite a while, and then they went to school. Oh, yeah. Anyway, That's so, cool. so, so um, from PhD to postdoc to the next uh, position, you have to move around to different institutions. Mm. Otherwise, uh, you're not seen as a competitive candidate. So that does mean upping your oh, life wow. every five years or so Ugh. to a completely different place if you're going along the academic track. Yeah. And if you have a life to append. And if, if I, yeah. <laughs> not everybody does. That's true. No. <laughs> 96% of uh, all humans that have ever existed uh, do not have a life to upend. <laughs> Interesting <laughs> fact. Uh, so, um, as an improv comedian, yes. you uh, probably have to you have to take in information and react to your surroundings. Yes. Do you think that you can be easily swayed uh, in your day to day life by what is around you? Easily swayed. Uh, well, I'm as far as improv like you just you embrace what is this reality and how can i make it better um but i'm not usually just you're not just gonna gullible and like okay okay so yeah no <laughs> yeah, it's, if, it's, yeah if yeah if a neo-nazi came up to you and said come and join my clan you're not going to embrace that kind of thing but uh, no i would probably kick them right but, in some sort of sensitive area but for some for something more minor maybe you could embrace a small change just by being nudged, perhaps. I'm not saying you specifically. I'm saying yeah. as people ad pe advertised to, people advertised to, or whatever. Well, um, uh, mm, no uh, advertisements. I get mad when they try to manipulate me. So, because <laughs> then I'll cry and I'll be like, "You made the, me cry," and you're a cell phone company. What's a real manipulative ad that you hate? Oh, Verizon had one not too long ago, and I can't remember that, so we'll skip that one. But there's one now that Apple is doing for their their book, oh, one of their yeah, things, the, and they're showing the all these. One. Yeah, and they're showing all these really influential people, you like sitting behind the Mac, and they got some really manipulative, tinkly piano music, and <laughs> and there's Lin Manuel Miranda. There's how like, much do you reckon Malala? Yeah, well, I don't know. Yeah, right. Or did she just sit like next to a Mac once? Right, and someone like take that picture now. I think with Malala's allowed to do as many adverts as she wants. She's earned her right. Did Malala sell out? Did Malala sell out? That would break my heart. So the example I'm going to give you, this scientific example, is a simple a simple gadget that could nudge people to save energy in the shower, and this has been trialed. Uh, by uh, someone, a group at the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology in Zurich. Uh, what they did was they uh, equipped rooms in a hotel with, in six hotels with a shower meter. And 60% uh, of those meters displayed real-time information about water and energy consumption, along with an animation of a polar bear on a melting ice floe. The, re the remaining 40% of the meters... Oh, she's mad. ...displayed... <laughs> so, like the tinkling piano, the remaining 40% of the meters displayed only the water temperature. So none of the hotel guests knew about this experiment, uh, nor were they responsible for the water bills, which would, you know, maybe influence how much they spent. But the guests whose meters provided instantaneous feedback used 11.4% less energy on average than those who did not receive the information and the accompanying polar bear, suggesting that you can put such uh, manipulative measures in place to <laughs> cut the public's consumption of energy and other resources. What if the polar bear got scarier, like the more water you use, they could start <laughs> making... Arr! 
Earth Earth thinner and shaking and its pole. You know what? I, I think I think you need to head <laughs> over to the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology because that's another variable. That's where I'm going after we leave the show. I, you, how did you know? Let Ohm help you get the word out on your service, product, or endeavor. Email info at theoamnetwork.com. Welcome back to the Dr. Heckle podcast. We move on to our news item for this week. Today's article comes from the news outlet CNBC. The title of the article is Experiments to Gene Edit Babies Are Criminally Reckless, says Stanford Bioethicist. Mm-hmm. So a, uh, you may have heard this, this was big news. Uh, a Chinese researcher claimed that two, bo- two, two girls born last month are the first genetically modified humans. And uh, many ethicists and scientists say they're horrified by the ex- these experiments if they happened in the way that he is stating. And it has been uh, unequivocally condemned by a well-known Stanford bioethicist, Hank Greeley. What do you, what do you guys think of that? Did you, did you hear about the story? Yes. Uh, yeah. I think they can hate on it all they want. It's still going to happen somewhere. Somebody's going to do it. Somebody's going to do it. But it sounds a lot like eugenics. Yeah, exactly. Thing, like, let's make people perfect. Yeah, we had this conversation in uh, like maybe 10 podcasts ago. But it was like, there are unethical scientists out there that will do things that should be regulated. And it's sadly, mm-hmm. it's just something that comes with because everyone's trying to be the first. So, uh, so to put this in a bit of context, uh, the specific Chinese scientist, uh, He Jian Kui, uh, who is a genome editing researcher at Southern University of Science and Technology in uh, Sichuan, Shenzhen, China, he's uh, not a big figure in the world of gene therapy up until this point. He's not uh, some so uh, in the American. Uh, field, there are a number of big uh, of big names. Uh, Matthew Porteous. Um, He's trying to make a name for himself out of thin air. Basic. So basically, uh, there's a, yeah. So Matthew Porteous, George Daly, uh, George Church. A, uh, a lot of people that have been working in this field uh, for a very long time and going through the steps that you would need to go to go through uh, to, in theory, eventually become the first team to genetically modify uh, someone that was born uh, based on a rigorous uh, panel review, a rigorous, you know, uh, authorization for a disease of specific need. And the same thing goes for in in Europe. There are a number of prominent researchers that, you know, and indeed in China, a number of prominent researchers who were going through this process. This guy effectively came from uh, nowhere uh, and what he has done is uh, supposedly impregnated a woman with embryos that have been edited to uh, give a resistance to the HIV infection. Is there anything to him actually have these embryos are actually HIV resistant or is it? So, great question. <laughs> uh, so... The gene that he targeted with this uh, gene editing tool, CRISPR-Cas, CCR5, uh, a patient who was given a bone marrow transplant years ago called the Berlin patient was given a bone marrow transplant with someone's uh, stem cells that had a 32 base pair deletion in CCR5 and it cured his HIV because he became resistant to it. So this 32 base pair um, deletion in the specific gene is known to confer resistance to HIV. Is it widely used now? Uh, it is a naturally occurring variant, uh-huh. actually uh, in found in 10% of Europeans. But the therapy you described? Mm. The therapy, uh, no. no. It's uh, to make that edit, uh, to make that precise edit would still not be considered something you, uh, you would approve a a trial based on just the idea of making someone resistant to something. Uh, It's not curing a disease that they, that they were going to be born with. There are plenty of diseases. Uh, Huntington's disease uh, is one that you would consider uh, selecting, selecting out or maybe making an edit to. Um, Why? Because it's common. 
uh, because genetic. because it's it's a genetic disease. Uh, it's it, basically a genetic disease rather than reducing your risk. Yeah, but there's of lots of genetic diseases, disease. right? Yeah, the, so yeah, the, sever, the severity of it okay. is does, why it would be a, a target. Does this kind of editing? So if you edit that, does that make you more prone to maybe another genetic thing? Because you're futzing around, like like you have you're gills, futzing around with yeah. If it goes like, bad, you're, oh, you're in the CCR shape of water do. now, guy. You're that guy. So CCR five <laughs> is a normal protein, and its uh, com- it, its total function is not completely elucidated. Uh, so so. You can live fine without it, but it it may be doing something that we don't you know necessarily know uh, too much about. Right. Yeah. Um, but the but to dig into why this was a this was a reckless approach. Mm-hmm. Uh, the CRISPR he so the process in which he went about uh, doing this was it was sperm from an HIV positive man that went through this kind of sperm washing procedure which is which is something that is done sounds like a party something that is done to help uh, couples conceive if if the male is hiv positive do they use dawn <laughs> it's more like Dawn just, if she's available yeah. so, well, i mean don't just uh, high five <laughs> i use palm olive <laughs> it's nice and safe on the hands and uh when uh they did IVF uh, with this uh, with this setup, and then delivered at the single cell stage this CRISPR uh, Cas to make the cut. Now they hadn't designed it in such a way that it was going to cause that exact thirty two ba- base pair deletion. It was just targeted to that gene and is making ran- random cuts. Random cuts. We don't know if it if if it's just that that specific deletion is the cause of the resistance. Uh, then you would not confer resistance by doing that. We don't know enough about other deletions because they're not necessarily naturally occurring in such abundance. This guy sounds like a complete amateur. Ooh, that's frightening. That's absolutely frightening. So this is why it was instantly when, after Ugh. being presented, the American Society of Gene Therapy and the European Society of Gene Therapy uh, completely condemned it. Uh, another reason this <laughs> and is... And the Chinese government went... <laughs> What? What? Well, what are y'all uh, looking at? Do you know what's happened to this guy now? Mm-hmm. No. He's gone missing. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. Uh, if I had to guess. <laughs> uh, so, so this is embarrassing for the Chinese uh, scientific community because they are actually wanting to play by the rules by and large. Uh, huh. So this is a very embarrassing thing for, to happen for them. Um, and again, I think many figures in many figures in China that are trying to, you know, are trying to work with. Uh, American gene therapists and European gene ther- therapists are very frustrated because, again, names have been names are being tarnished by what what has been done. In so, this how case. did he get away with it? I mean, I'm I'm imagining this Chinese doctor like renting a storage room and taking this CRISPR machine to it and doing this all in secret. You can't just do so, this stuff. You have to have a lab. So, and, this is an yeah. in, this is clearly an institutional problem, right? Uh, where so he claims he got approval at his institution at the university he was he was working at. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the crazy, another crazy thing that he did is that uh, when choosing the embryos to implant, he chose one that, had a, that showed a double deletion. He also implanted another that had only one of the two copies deleted. And that wouldn't confer resistance. Yeah. Um, so it's, uh, that is, is also a completely bizarre thing to have done uh, with no real rationale behind why he did that. And there are going to be twins born, one with the double deletion, one with, you know, uh, one with a single deletion. And he hinted that that there were more, uh, so that those babies have been born. So he hinted that more procedures had been done uh, before he announced all of this. So there may be other babies that are going to be born who have had this done. Chinese Dr. Mengele. Yeah. The only way Dr. Moreau. A f- no, Dr. He's got an island. A, f- a final uh, thing to really show you how crazy this is, is the particular way that uh, this was done, where you deliver your CRISPR at the single cell stage. If it makes that cut and edit when it is a single cell, yes, you have done what you intended to do. But at that stage of development, you know, the cells are dividing very quickly. 
if you haven't made your cut at that time and the material ends up going into one of the two daughter cells or the four daughter cells uh, after fertilization and you make the edit there, you've made maybe one edit out of four, you create a chimeric situation, right. which we wouldn't know that, you know, you, you then would, it would, you'd be creating a person with three quarters, one genetics uh, profile, and this gene changed in a quarter of their other cells that, you know, depending on what type of uh, lineage those cells were going down. Yeah, the the thing I'm getting stuck on is putting in the heterozygote, where only one copy was... Um, one copy was one edited. One copy was edited and the other wasn't. Because that kind of suggests that what you plan to do later on is to them with HIV and see if one copy was sufficient to confer immunity. Uh, you would hope that that I mean that from from a very cynical standpoint from that a does purely scientific experimental point of view. That's what if there was rats, would, that's exactly what you. That's would do. what yeah. you would do. Yeah. Right. But yeah, that it seems insane to think that you you know that you would just throw them out into the world, ex- yeah. see if they got yeah. HIV at some later Good point. Good luck. But that's... Uh, so this guy, uh, it was uh, uh, it was going to be that he it was, there was some big investigation of the Chinese authorities, but he has since gone missing. So we don't really know uh, too much about the final outcome or, you know, what's going to happen in the long-term follow-up of these children that have now been born. Um I guess the the thing that's quite that's quite interesting. This is a completely, you know, this is a completely abhorrent thing for a scientist to have done, and the it was done by someone who was not necessarily had the facilities to be at the top of their game. Yeah. So uh, there really needs to be clamping down. Far there needs to be a greater degree of regulation um, to ensure that something like this does not happen again. Uh, and interestingly enough, uh, so interesting enough, the reporting on all of this has been pretty on the nose, pretty correct, but it's something that I personally, when talking to people was said, said no one would be stupid enough to do. And so for that reason, we dubbed Dr. Heckle <laughs> fake news. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I'm Claren. I'm a worker elf at Santa's Workshop. I make minimum wage and work long hours. My family is on the verge of coming apart at the seams. My wife and I speak in single word exchanges three to four times a day. I don't want to make your toys, but Amazon does. Amazon, everything from A to Z. Music, movies, gaming, appliances, apparel. Heck, you can buy a comb that looks like a switchblade knife on there. Get all your Christmas shopping done at Amazon. Since you're already in a giving mood, I'd like to ask you to give back to the OM Network. Go to theoamnetwork.com slash Amazon. Same Amazon products, same Amazon prices. But the Amazon sends a percentage right on over to OM. You can buy an Adele CD and give back to OM. An Apple Watch and give back to OM. A hairbrush that looks like a switchblade knife and give back to OM. That's theoamnetwork.com slash Amazon. Same great deals, same great prices. Well, better get back to work. Please don't make me have to work any harder. Welcome back to our final section where we take a journal article, explain it to our guests and have them tell us what the study is all about. So today's article is from the journal Cell from the Department of Bioengineering at University of California, Berkeley. The first author is Michael Verhey. The anchor author is Daniel Fletcher. And the title of the article is Low Fidelity Assembly of Influenza A Virus Promotes Escape from Host Cells. What do you guys pick up from the title alone? We're going to cure the flu. (laughs) We're so close. Low fidelity assembly of influenza A virus promotes escape from host cells. Low fidelity assembly means the cells don't go together the way that they're supposed to. That's what I'm guessing. 
Ooh, the, yeah, close. The, the virus has, uh, doesn't necessarily form as it's supposed to. It's like that uh, movie Multiplicity with Michael Keaton where he makes copies of himself and each successive one is worse, than, worse. The, than the one before. Oh, yeah. Exactly and the, like the film Primer. <laughs> Have you seen that one? No. no. Oh, that's kind of like that. You go, they go, keep going back in time and they, get, they keep getting nosebleeds because they're kind of... Uh, okay, yes, I've seen... I just have to say, this is not a good segue, whatever, but I have to get it out. I feel like I'm on Flight of the Concords right now, plus like 60 <laughs> IQ points. That's, that's, I feel like I'm in that right now. Okay, go ahead with your article. All right. Let's back to the serious science now. I want to be Murray. Low fidelity assembly. Okay. Who, who's, who's, who's which one? Who's Brett? Who's I'm thinking you're Brian. I'm Jermaine. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. And neither of us are in New Zealand. <laughs> I'll, I'll take that. <laughs> okay. Hey, I only speak American. <laughs> you're all it's God's foreign. language. <laughs> you're all foreign. <laughs> okay, so. <laughs> Get back to the influenza. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> that was uh, Murray. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Present. <laughs> Influenza viruses, they uh, ha inhabit a wide range of different host environments despite having limited components. So uh, in order to replicate, they've got to navigate a whole host of you know, different unpredictable environments, both inside your host, outside your host. Uh, the influenza viruses you may know is very genetically variable. Mm -hmm. So year to year, uh, you have to get a different vaccine because keeps mutating whichever one is prevalent in that year might have uh different structures of these two proteins uh hemagglutinin and neuraminidase you're saying it's got to be adaptable to live inside the body and still live on the water fountain where i'm gonna touch it and get it yeah it's got it's got to have a hot it's got to be metal. like uh yeah. and the water fountain and sturdy. me are very it's different gotta environments be, it's got to be sturdy in those different environments correct oh boy this is going to frighten me. Yeah, so... Uh, and make me afraid to touch anything. You'll be cleaning your hands. It has to <laughs> withstand antiviral drugs, find yep. new ways to transmit itself around. Uh, and so one way, one way that is known uh, for, for that to kind of occur is this very high mutation rate. It gets around the body's defenses, you know, gets around even our um, designed ways of trying to stem its infection. So the two, uh, so the two key pro proteins, hemagglutinin and uh, neuraminidase, hemagglutinin binds sialic acid, and uh, to get into this, so it binds tightly to this, you know, to the sialic acid on on a cell surface, and then the neuraminidase basically cleaves that piece. Laurel will kill for a pen right now. <laughs> I would kill for a pen. Don't worry. This is your, this is this is this is back. This is back. I'm gonna beat stuff. your ass on Final Jeopardy. You know that. <laughs> Bring it on, bitch. <laughs> okay, you probably will. Damn it. I'm sorry. Go ahead. And so, um, <laughs> it's, it's the generation of antibodies against those elements that make up your typical flu. You know, flu vaccine. You know, if, if it's H1, N5. Uh, that's around that year's, you know. Oh, that's what the H and the N stand Yeah, you scientists get knowledge. You're so smart. And then a different year might be H two N three, and then you're not protected from the year before. So, what this group wanted to see is not actually is this just about the genetic variability that gives you those different, you know, those different structures whether that there was actually any variance even when the sequence was the same. Which... Wah, wah, my train just crashed. <laughs> so <laughs> genetic sequence, you do DNA sequence. Okay. Gives you... Uh, changes in that gives you different final proteins with the structure of the virus. Now I'm with you. So okay. now uh, what they're looking at is seeing, is there any variance even when that sequence is the same? So even when there hasn't been any new mutations. Now I understand. Mm. Back on board. Mostly. Mostly. Yeah. So what they did uh, is something pretty, pretty clever. They developed a strain of the virus that had these tiny uh, amino acid tags. So bits of tiny bits of protein tagged uh, on each of the virus's most abundant structural proteins. 
So you know your neuraminidase, your hemagglutinin, and then a few other proteins called M1, M2, and NP. So these small, they put these small tags on because they thought it's not going to impact the function. And uh, what they then did was these, so these specific tags have been designed to bind fluorophores, which are basically chemicals that give off a certain color glow. They're doing this so they can see, basically. They can see where they wouldn't have been able to Fluoro, see. like fluorescent. See yes. Mm-hmm. Cool. So they carefully constructed a virus with these tags and infected cells with them, then collected the virus particles, imaged them, and to see, uh, and then they found that they could see that dis- these influenza viruses were a range of si- sizes when they escaped the cell, the cells. Uh, so that made sure that the fluorescent parts that you know they, they were working, they weren't disrupting the virus. They were seeing uh, numbers of these hemagglutinin and neuraminidase that were similar to a normal influenza virus. So they're just characterizing it at first and saying, "Okay, this is this seems to be working like a normal virus." So now that they've seen that they've got virus particles of different sizes, they wanted to see if the makeup of the proteins was different. So then they looked at. Uh, the relative abundance of the hemagglutinin, neuraminidase, and uh, M2 on individual particles. So as a whole, it makes up around what you would expect. But looking on individual particles, they found uh, that actually the abundance of these span a hundredfold range, uh, the different protein pieces of the virus. So some particles that had a lot of neuraminidase some have a lot of hemagglutinin it's not they're not all forming in the same way and uh interestingly enough so so most of each population was concentrated within a certain range within a three to five fold uh range but but again the population as a whole had an infectivity similar to that reported in influenza so even even though this is like a slightly artificial system what they're they're seeing these these differences in size differences in the way it's made up but it's also similarly infective to a norm to normal influenza so uh are you with me so far all right going back going back (laughs) to the markers you said the tag i I think i know the answer to this but i'm going to ask anyway did the markers themselves have any effect on this whatsoever? Was that as like a surprise result of this? So uh, they designed it so that they thought that, that it wouldn't have any effect, and they're arguing that it doesn't have any effects. They're using the, the fluoric fluorescent tag just to image it, and what they're seeing is this is looking. It's still an infectious virus, uh-huh. uh, it ha- and it has this variability. This variation in size of influenza particles is already known. Uh, it's already known that they they're of different size, and what they're what they're saying is okay. These it's you've got different size particles with different protein compositions, uh, that, so they're made up in different ways. Is the particle like a lump of viruses or viri, or Just is each individual a, virion, each individual single virus? One virus is a virion. One virus is a virion. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, here, all right. I'm going to pass you my pen. Here. Oh, you're getting all this. <laughs> I know. I know. I know you want it. So you've got you've got all of these virus particles that are different in 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 these different ways, and there are uh, three ways, uh, this three general ways that this could arise. One is you've got genetic diversity; you've got different DNA sequences that are causing them to form in different ways. Uh, two is you've got heterogeneity within the population of in, infected cells. Uh, so you know. When the cells are inf- uh, when when you infect the cells, you're infecting them with different shaped particles. Then they make things that are different shapes or whatever. Uh, like the host cells are different. Ooh. So is that, is that area two? One is genetic genetic variance. You said yeah that. yeah sorry. Yeah. Uh, one is genetic variance. The second is uh, a variation with yeah the the cells that you're infecting. They have different properties. So like a virus infects small cell, you get small particles. Virus infects big cell, you get big Yeah, particles. maybe like a different condition, cell to cell, okay. leads to different, you know. Okay. Uh, and the third is just is variability that arises when the virus is assembling itself. Just like you've got one cell environment and there's just a natural vari- variability. So that was what they were trying to test in this next experiment. Uh, 
and so uh, what they what they did is they uh, looked at the virus that was produced by individual cells from a single round of replication. So you don't you wouldn't it eliminates this idea that you know it could be different cell environments. Eliminates area two. Yeah, and then they're gonna um, and then also because it's a single replication round. Uh, it eliminates the genetic diverse, di- diversity because you're doing uh, that. You're, lo- you're putting a single particle into a s- single cell, and then you're seeing what comes out. In fact, they they put uh, they did an MOI of a multiplicity of infection of 0.01. So actually, only one in a hundred infected cells, one in a hundred cells they were infecting, because you don't want there to be by chance two in one cell that would throw off your your analysis. They were ensuring that every infected cell that they were analyzing had just one copy of the virus. And you're doing the virus children, not the virus great, 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 great grandchildren. Just just one round of replication. Gotcha. So you're like, this is coming from this DNA sequence, and these this is the virus that comes from it. And what they uh, what they saw is that from individual those individual populations, there was still that difference in size and structure. So neither genetic diversity nor the variability of the cells uh, was needed to get this broad range of size and composition. So uh, then they looked at doing some kind of fun fun things with it and uh, took you know took their population single replicated round and uh, lowered lowered the temperature from body temperature 37 degrees lowered it to 33 degrees and they that's, that's british degrees by the way yes yes celsius uh yes the science to science the scientific degrees, degrees. Yeah. yeah uh ones that make sense divide right. by two and, and subtract 30 he's got one more science degree than i have <laughs> uh <laughs> they found that a lower temperature shifted that population towards a higher neuraminidase content with just that single round of replication, found that a lower temperature shifted that way, uh, and that that shift was reversible from one generation to the next. So basically, like you've got you've got the these particles of different size and shape. In the cooler condition, you get more of these high neuraminidase particles, but then you go back to your full variability if you change that environment back from lower temperature to higher temperature. So it's very very adaptable. Now I'm thinking about the viruses and like the the argument between boxers and whitey tighties <laughs> adjusting the temperature. Oh know. yeah, yeah. Either way, you're still going to get virus in there. It's going <laughs> to adapt. <laughs> I know I'm really uh, overlapping areas <laughs> of science here. <laughs> and they and they look to see uh if these viral particles from this one round of replication could escape neutralizing antibodies so they uh, there's a common neutralizing antibody treatment called oseltamivir. Uh, uh, Isn't that a character on Game of Thrones? <laughs> <laughs> it died. The one that died. Yeah, what, yeah that died. was that the Red yeah. Wedding? Yeah. And again, they found more neuraminidase and shorter particles. Uh, so basically what this means is that even though a gene sequence of the flu virus is exactly the same from an individual particle, when it's replicating in this single round, the way it assembles is not highly organized and structured. It's, it's assembling in this kind of, it can assemble in many ways. And by doing that, that allows it to uh, survive over a whole bunch of uh, conditions. So you've got some some particles that will have more of this neuraminidase, some that will have more of this hemagglutinin, some of them will be longer, shorter, all of which uh, will be suited to different conditions. And then that, and then those particles will survive to go and infect the next cell, but then it can return to its wide, big population of different conditions just in that one round of replication. So now I'm thinking of a <sighs> robot, like like going through a screen door by turning into a billion tiny robots, going through the screen and reassembling as the robot on the other side. This is like Matrix. Yeah. Is that it? It's like a, a robot that uh, shoots out, yeah, all of these tiny robots, and some of them are shit robots. Okay. Some of them can't walk upstairs, uh-huh. and it's stairs that they need to get up, but some of them can. <sighs> and that one robot gets to its robot replication point, shoots out 
exactly the same pool of robots that were at the bottom of the stairs. So some of them now can uh, go swimming to get across the swimming pool and get to the guy on the other side. But uh, and those were the ones that couldn't have, uh, wouldn't have necessarily been able to survive. The fish can't get up the stairs. The walkers can't swim. Exactly. You got some of each. Yeah. And now we're all going to die. And just every single round, they can go back to that same level of wide uh, spread, which uh, unfortunately, which is kind of terrifying news. Yes, it is. I am scared. I just peed a little in the chair. But now that uh, now that we know this, it means that you can uh, devise different kinds of therapies, ones that are maybe uh, more broad and uh, or different approaches so that you're not just attacking one thing at it, a time. It really makes me happy that that's your reaction to this story because yeah. mine would just be, fuck it, you're, you're <laughs> yeah. going to get sick. Yeah, exactly. You feel justified that's... in giving up hope. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. And y'all scientific, are like, oh, here's some more things we can try. I'm like, yes, no, I'm gonna we cry have a chance. I'm just going to cry even more at those the Mac commercials. The scientists have given me permission to... We can we can still say we need <laughs> we can still say we need funding. We haven't done it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm gonna. Sorry. You're gonna have everything in my wallet, man. I, yeah, I've got a couple of credit cards. Somebody's in my gonna wallet. save us. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> to, to, to quickly summarize, influenza highly mutatable, but even when the sequence doesn't change, the shape and structure can be different, and uh, this kind of low fidelity assembly allows it to adapt to changing conditions. It only takes one replication cycle to make a whole new series. So, Jeez. Uh, <laughs> it's a lot of information. This is quite a difficult paper for the show. Sometimes we sometimes we give them easy ones. Okay. I gave you a difficult one today. Okay. Uh, thank you for that. It's just a testament to what, what we think what of we you think guys. Of you well, guys. thank you. Oh, okay. Well, whoops. They're Somebody. talking about you. You got the science necklace on. I know. Uh, sorry for the wrong impression on that. <laughs> uh, Why don't you tell them? But can you guys explain back to me and Naraj whatever you took in from that paper? No, uh, no, take not. it away, Laurel. Sure. Uh, I uh, So I think in imp- improv scenes, and I want to see someone tagging a cell... Uh, so the fluorescent tags, I thought that was interesting that you can do that. Because I'm not a scientist, so I don't know those things. Uh, but that's fascinating to me. And then how the overall big picture for me is like, ah, this thing is so adaptable. It doesn't, we're not going to stop it. And I was really hoping that we could <laughs> from the headline. Dang it. You like... <laughs> What is it? Catfished me. But um, <laughs> the, I just. Just for the record, I did not catfish you. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever, like you bait and switch. No. Uh, you know, like you More reeled bass. me in, and I was like, we're going to cure it. And Portuguese then, breakfast? We're not. Yeah. What? Is that something I should look up in Urban Dictionary? Probably not. Okay. Uh, but yeah, like the flu is, the flu virus is extremely adaptable. Like, that's the big thing that I got is like, and it will adapt to wherever it is, whoever it's inside and whatever cells it wants to eat and kill. It will do that. <laughs> there is no escape. <laughs> All right. That's kind of what I got from this. And now I'm frightened. A- anything you want to add to that, Jeff? <laughs> I should have gone first. I don't want to follow that's that. That's the low key version. <laughs> yeah, that's the idiot. The, the flu for I- dummies. I kind of cheated because no, I was the intensity in which you said it. Was like, <laughs> I was making sure I understood as much as I could while you went along. But like the the robots going through the screen is still the the visual that I'm working with. But in my first vision of it, you know, they all reassembled like a Voltron with like a trillion lions. But you're like, no, 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 no. You know, some of them are junk. Some of them go up the stairs. Some of them swim in the water. Some of them can live on the water fountain. And the, ah, the light bulb just came on over my head. Yeah. That's how it lives on the water fountain and in me at the same time. Yep. Oh, wow. I'm, I'm even more scared than I was <laughs> three minutes ago. Basically. But Mark and Naraj are going to save us there. I'm confident. <laughs> please, please. Well, please. basically, <laughs> it says that the influenza virus, its strongest asset is that it has a really shit blueprint of how to make itself, mm. and which allows it to make an infinite amount of variations 
and therefore at least one of those is able to survive to the next round and that's all it really needs kind to of just keep going deals going. in volume it's right. a great analogy yeah, yeah. <laughs> phd <Yeah>. it's like a <laughs> <laughs> he hates to keep bringing it's that like up a, <laughs> <laughs> it's like a, yeah an architect that hasn't done done the work yeah like yeah. It could and just, still gets all the business in yeah. town <laughs> right because like, of his dashing good looks <laughs> 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 so thank you guys so much for taking part in the show i do yeah. of course give uh ask my guests to bring a fact with them to round out the proceedings uh so i'm gonna start with uh you jeff okay all right i i looked up a fact i actually just googled interesting facts and uh that didn't do me any good so i did uh interesting benjamin franklin facts yeah and it turns out that uh the favorite thing that Benjamin, his own personal favorite invention, was this thing called the harmonica. Not, yes! the, not you know about the harmonica? Yeah, I've seen it. Yeah, at his museum. Sorry. You Oops. you lick your uh, you lick your arm and you play it, and it's supposed to simulate like a glass bottle. Yeah, yeah that's probably what they sound like. It it does. Yeah. Oh, you heard it at the. Uh, oh yeah, some guy played it at the park. Was it? Was he like a professional harmonica player? I don't quite remember him saying that he was, and that's it wasn't just like some random person that walked up. No, you know, it was like hey, over look. the velvet rope, and <laughs> yeah, played. hey, it's an harmonica. Watch this, Betty. No, it was it was some park, <laughs> okay, park dude. All right, cool. That's it. I don't know if I'd rather see a professional harmonica player or an amateur harmonica player. I'm not sure. It would make a lot of difference, really. <laughs> Probably a fine line there. Yeah, it's. Yeah. I wonder if there are any like harmonica players bowls. out there, Don't please get in touch. Try it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's well, like those singing bowls? Um, it's or, or like that. People that play the the bowl. Yeah. 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 I'll do sound effects. You need a foley artist <laughs> for your show. <laughs> I, I'm available. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let me know. <laughs> great facts. Yeah. Thanks, man. I, I Thanks for having me on the show. I didn't know that uh, that an harmonica existed, so you have achieved your your goal, uh, Laurel. Can you achieve your goal? Do I? Will I know your fact exists? Uh, I don't know. Um, did you know that you are likely to going upstairs? This is regarding going up and downstairs. Uh, that you are likely to miss a step once in every two thousand two hundred twenty-two occasions that you use steps. Like, when you say miss a step, you mean just, like, like slip? Like, whoop. They yeah. clearly they only interviewed sober people. people. <laughs> yeah. See what I mean there? Uh, <laughs> and then uh, unmarried people. I mean, do you want more about this? this yeah, absolutely. Uh, unmarried people are more likely to fall than married people. Down, just in general, downstairs? Just, uh, just, just yeah, downstairs. These step-related facts. Married yes. people are more likely to get pushed. She's yeah. surprised to step. <laughs> and then people in good shape. They only shape. fall once. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm never using steps. I'm not going to get the flu. Uh, people in good shape fall more often than people in bad shape. I believe that. Yeah. I believe that yeah. if you're in good shape, you put yourself in more falling situations. Mm-hmm. Well, you bound up the steps. You're yeah. not as careful. Yeah, I never. I'm never just glad someone subscribed to Step <laughs> Journal. <laughs> yeah, start a Step Journal. <laughs> Today I went up 52 steps yeah. and I didn't fall. I think if I uh, get audaciously uh, lackadaisical and comfortable in my academic career, I will try and found the Journal of Step Research. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could yeah. set up a fund. <laughs> you could anyone doing research any research involving steps doesn't matter what it is i'd just love to read those grant proposals <laughs> there are people they do more about fire and stuff but more people are hurt more people uh, are hurt steps. by steps than yeah, fire steps. the funny thing is i actually fell down the steps on my way here today so. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I, I was wondering if I should keep that to myself. <laughs> no, never. I feel, um, was I, it 2,000 occasions before you yeah. previously done that? Yeah. <laughs> you think, just, you it's been one. a while. It's been a while. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I was going up to the eighth floor at, at the car park, and I got to the seventh, and I was like, oh, this is pretty good. How many people are injured <laughs> by Scott Stapps? That's what I'd like to know. Ooh, so many. <laughs> Lots in the 90s, but mm. uh, that number's dropped off, I think. 311. <laughs> 
They got fired one time. Scott Staff. I think it's time for the plugs. <laughs> yeah, that does bring us to the end of the show. Uh, but of course, I allow our guests to plug anything they've got going on. So, Laurel, first of all. Uh, yeah, I don't know when this is coming out, but I'm doing a thing with Opera Memphis, their Victorian holiday. But that's this weekend. So you probably. It'll be out next Monday. Okay. Well, it will have already happened and <laughs> I will have had a wonderful time. Um the next thing is the January 11th, the benefit um, mm-hmm. at High Tone. Uh, so please come out and help our friend Benny okay, we'll uh, defray Benny. his his uh, medical expenses, which are going to be. Friend of the pods. Friend of the pod. He's, he's, been, the on, pod. he's been on twice. And uh, now he's been shot. I yeah. guess mm-hmm. we, by association, have a bit more street cred. Yeah. <laughs> We're way more street no, now. Well, if you get shot, if you come on twice, I'm gonna re- rethink. Hoping they invited me back. What if I fall down some stairs? Hat today. Oh. <laughs> uh, we'll be posting uh, Benny's GoFundMe. I think in the show notes. Yeah, do that. Uh, yes. Please. So please uh, click the link and donate to uh, to his get better fund. Yeah, for sure. Um, he's a good guy. Great, great guy. Um, and then also. Uh, the February 2nd and 3rd, uh, Bluff City Liars has a show at Theater Works. So come out and support that uh, as well. I, I'm not sure what if we're donating any proceeds. I haven't. I'm not in charge of that show. I'm not producing that show. And I'm not producing anything right now. <laughs> Except a lot of silence and people saying 15 seconds. Let's skip ahead. 15 seconds. Come on. And, uh, and Jeff, have you got anything to plug? I do, I do. I uh, wanted to let y'all know Who Shot John will be playing New Year's Eve at the Rock House Midtown with Slamhound and the Scary Lizard Ladies. That's Who Shot John with Slamhound and the Scary Lizard Ladies at the Rock House Midtown New Year's Eve 2018-19 in beautiful Midtown Memphis, Tennessee. And we have some of that acoustic folk to play us out. Yay! So, uh... Thank you very much, guys, for being on the, the show. Well, thank, thank you. For thank you. Thank, thank you for thanks having for taking me. taking part of it. Really uh, terrific. And good, good, good night. Good night. Good night. Christopher, why don't you go to sleep? You know you need to go to sleep. It would be good for you if you went to sleep. sleep. You've got to go to sleep. Running in the dark. Right before the go door. To sleep. Waiting on the early Running in the dark, right before the dawn Waiting on the early bird To fly again Riding in the dark, right before the dawn Waiting on the early bird To fly again You can't catch What you don't you can't catch me You can't catch what don't sleep You can't catch me Because I'm running in the dark right before the dawn Waiting on the early bird to fly again Running in the dark right before the dawn
Dr. Heckle is an OAM Network production, available on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, and TheOAMNetwork.com, recorded at Crosstown Concourse in Memphis, Tennessee. Your host was Mark Brimble, guests were Jeff Harvey and Laurel George, music by Kip Yulhorn. Outro song was Don't Sleep by Who Shot John. The show was produced by Mark Brimble, Hunter Sandlin, and Gil Worth. Find us on our Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. Or if you have any questions, comments, or like to get in touch about appearing on the show or topics you'd like us to cover, email us at drhecklepod at gmail.com. The OAMnetwork.com. Power to the podcast.